Hello, Clive, editor of Stick Around here. Apologies, uh, we've been out of this for a while. Uh, my mic was clicking at points. It's a bit like tuk, tuk, uh, now and again. You'll 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 see what I mean when you listen to the episode. Apologies about that. Teething problems as we get back on. You know, we're back. What more do you want? Enjoy the episode. Bye. your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that has been on strike for over a year in protest at the cost of living Brought to you by Kellogg's Fruit Winders, for when standard gelatin just isn't long or windy enough. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Gotta love a fruit winder. Uh, did anyone eat a... Has anyone had a, the, the the sort of unpopular follow-up? Well, I, I'm sure it was quite popular. Um, the Bear Yo-Yo. I have not, no, not even heard of that. I think, I think, that, probably, no. I think that probably came in after my lunchbox days. It um, definitely did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, when people started giving a shit about health, that kind of thing. I imagine um, <laughs> I imagine Kellogg's weren't making them. No, they were. Go. I'm trying to look up. I can't see who makes them. I'm looking at the packet. You can go. You can win a. Can win a sort of event at Go Ape by getting them. Mm. Uh, they're basically look exactly the same. So I'm surprised they got away with it. But I suppose then, you know, I guess it's like Aldi doing honey coated cereal instead of honey nut cornflakes or whatever, and it's still being fine. Um. <laughs> I've just I've just thought to myself we we've been sponsored by a lot of kind of retro pack lunch food you know we've had fruits mm. before um, now we've had fruit winders I feel like we've had others as well like um, panda pops or um, you know cheese strings I'm sure we've been spo- well there's an opportunity for cheese strings there if they haven't already I don't think know. we have been sponsored by cheese strings but I think I'll add that to the list I'll get on the call yeah. I'll get on the blower after this what you know you. you your classic '90s pack lunch. Um, you had your, um, you, I don't know, your box standard cheese sandwich, your cheese string, your fruit winder, your frube, uh, maybe a bottle of Sunny D, Florida style, probably. <laughs> My most disappointing uh, lunch moment was when I, I can't remember what. This story would be better if I remembered what my brother's sandwiches were because they were awful, uh, and I accidentally got his, <laughs> and I couldn't eat it. I think it was like Marmite and honey or something ludicrous. What the fuck? I was like, what is going on? This is not whatever I was having, which was probably cheese, because I'm a boring foodie. Uh, I remember um, a friend of ours came to school with um, cheese and peanut butter sandwiches, because his dad had been told to make his lunch for him, because his mum wasn't going to be there. She said, make him a cheese and peanut peanut butter sandwiches. She'd meant separately, obviously. Um, (laughs) This is exactly the same as when Elle asked me to make a a peanut butter and marmite sandwich. (laughs) And I did it it Sorry, cool. I just said I did it on separate bits of bread, but then obviously put them together, so it ended up being a cheese. It ended up being a peanut butter and marmite. So apparently, it wasn't that bad. So sure, what? I'm sure our friend Russ swears by that on toast. So I think oh, that okay. is a thing. Oh, that's all right then. Well, yeah, I, fe- I feel like the cheese and peanut butter that could have been a beautiful accident, was it not? Um, you'd ha- well, we'd have to ask him. It's our friend Matthew Winship. Maybe make yourself one later, Michael, and report back. I don't have any cheese, say, because I don't actually like. <laughs> That's the thing with me, isn't it? I don't actually like cheese, really. Oh, come on, Michael. Um, We've talked about this. You but know, you love butter. Like, you, 
That's one of those things, you know, I don't judge you, but you don't say that in public. Because you, know, you get put on a list. <laughs> this isn't in public. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> what are you on about, Michael? Everyone's listening to the comeback. Everyone's been like, I don't know what to do with myself for the last year. Yeah, um, especially especially Wayne's cats. Especially Wayne's cats, which well, I tell you what, Michael. Just out of solidarity, um, I will express my opinion that I don't uh, put out in public. Oh, well, I kind of do, but t- hot drinks, rubbish. Coffee, tea, no, thank you. Yeah, I mean that's just balmy. I mean, not it's no more balmy than not liking cheese. <laughs> You're both. I feel like it balmy. is. Yeah, I always forget the hot drink thing. I don't know why. I keep. I do, I do that with everyone though because I just can't I can't uh, contemplate it. I've got a, a friend at work who doesn't drink coffee or tea, and I constantly every lunch I'm like, "Shall we go for a coffee?" <laughs> He's like, "I don't drink coffee, Claire." Oh yeah, I forgot that you're weird well, again. Well, for me it's the temperature, so I will have tea, just iced tea, and if it's if it's if it's got enough syrup in it, I could have a nice coffee, perhaps, maybe. Okay. Well, by far the balmiest thing about it was when you were drinking Monster as a substitute for it. Well, I needed, I need, I needed the caffeine. I mean, I mean, look, come on, Mike. You're, we, we've we've talked about this before. You're in a glass house, mate. There is a lot of stones I could throw, shatter a lot of windows. Well, this is true, but uh, I'm the one writing a best man speech. So, fair enough. Just remember, though, um, 25 years from now, I'll be getting you back. All right. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. When you're on your third wedding. <laughs> I've done three of these. Fucking had enough of it. You pick another best man. Um, anyway, hello everyone. Well, this is Stick Around, you probably noticed. Um, you're probably like, wow, why, why are you back? Um, why? <laughs> well, we just... Better to do. We, <laughs> yeah, after a year off, we decided we had nothing better to do. Uh, yeah, we took a year off for uh, extenuating circumstances. We were all We were just striking at the, you know, work conditions were shite. Everything was horrible. Uh, I was being a dick, so Alex and Michael both went on strike, and I essentially couldn't carry it on my own. So we've we've made up again, uh, and we're here to talk about, as usual, all sorts of stuff. Um, how it's been a year. So how have we been? Um, how's our cultural consumption been over the last years? Has anything changed? Is it pretty much as it was before? Um, well, I mean, it, it's kind of back to normal now. I'm going to the, I'm back to the cinema quite a lot still. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say. I mean, it did change. Obviously, the lockdown and um, various COVID did change how we did everything. You know, everything was more home based, and probably probably we consumed more during the lockdown mm. because you couldn't go outside, you couldn't mix. But um, I would say I'm relatively back to normal. How about you, Michael? Um, I would say that there's been a change uh, for me. In the sense that I don't really watch films now very often. Um, can't put my finger on exactly why. Um, I, I would say my TV watching is probably about the same as it was, which is not extremely regular, but um, you know, still quite frequent. Uh, but films have fallen a bit by the wayside. I only ever go to the cinema if it's something I'm particularly excited to see for whatever reason. Um, and I don't sit and watch many films at home. Maybe it's a time thing, I don't know, but uh, that is a shift that I've noticed. So most of my consumption has been centred around music, as as was always the case, but I think to a much greater extent than, than ever. Cool. Um, for me, 
I can't remember what, what we were doing last time. Yeah, I think the main thing, still similar, I still listen to music's easily the thing I do the most, um, and I'm still doing my favourite albums of every year challenge. Stick around podcast.com for that. I'm on 1985. It's just about to go up. I am um, just need to finish it off. Um, the main thing that's changed is probably watching more I'm going. I think I'm going to the cinema less, but watching probably more films overall. Because I've started, um, I have Fridays off now, so I do condense down with Monday to Thursday. Um, for the similar reasons, we've had a year off for some, some personal issues, and I <laughs> wanted a longer weekend. Uh, I got it. <laughs> uh, it's great. Uh, so most, pretty much every Friday morning, I have Friday film morning, uh, where I just Ooh. sit on my tod and put a film on. And I've been working my way through like the letterboxed top 250, which is seems to be 50% Japanese black and white films, but they're all great. Um, <laughs> So, yeah. What was the uh, what was the last Japanese black and white film you saw? Harakiri, I think. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Mm. Uh, which I've heard I've heard of the name, not seen. Which it. was excellent. Um, yeah, they've all been great. I'm really enjoying it, and it's quite rant. There's a lot of. Um, I was going to do the IMDb top hundred, but then I was like, oh, it just doesn't look as exciting. Uh, whereas the letterboxed one has lots of lots of independent stuff, lots of foreign language stuff. Um, it's still definitely biased towards certain things, like, say, Japanese. <laughs> uh, I think Japanese cinema seems to do very well on it. Um, but it's stuff that I hadn't seen, so... And then you come across the other thing that you have seen. But, yeah, it's been really good, so I've been doing that every Friday and really enjoying it, so I'm definitely watching more films. I'm still going to the cinema, but more... I used to go on my own quite a lot because I used to have a card. Um, I don't have that anymore, so I just go with whatever other people want to see, which sometimes yeah it's, it tends to be the more blockbustery stuff i guess but still thoroughly enjoy it hmm. okay um what was the last one you shot at the cinema Clive? Uh, unless you're going to review it later no i'm not reviewing a, a film later but i might start talking about these um top uh you know these letterbox classics because there's some some really good stuff in there um but i'll probably save that for next time Last film I saw at the cinema, I'm trying to think. I really want to go and see Top Gun, uh, but Cable, a uh, good old podcast um, member, James Cable, uh, has already seen it, and he is my usual cinema buddy. <laughs> uh, um, well, I considered reviewing Top Gun. Uh, I'll just say it's outstanding, yeah. and I never thought I'd say that. It's one of the best experiences I've had in the cinema in a long time. Ooh. Um and it is a cinema movie as well. It just won't be the same at home. I don't care how big your telly is. Yeah, no, I know exactly. That's why I want to go see it. So I think if, if I can't organise it, I'm just going to go on my Todd. Uh, what, but what was the last thing I saw? Bloody hell. I can't remember now. What stuff's out? Give us a list. Like the the big stuff. <laughs> big, uh, big hitters. Well, I'm not going to say some of them because I may be doing them later on. Uh, everything everywhere all the yes that's the last that's, that's the last thing i saw and i uh, me and cable went to see that and it was absolutely excellent um yeah mm. really really loved it uh yeah so that was the last thing good guess cool. <laughs> <laughs> right shall we uh, let's get started so i've only got one thing so i'm going to do it in the middle uh, be like the filling of the uh no, no i would be the the cream, the cream in the bourbon. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, because you always say, I always say it wrong around with a sandwich because it wouldn't be an Alex and uh, Michael sandwich because you'd be the bread and we don't say a bread sandwich unless you're having a really well, like, weird I'll... sandwich. Um, um, well, you get a bit of bread in the middle of a Big Mac. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> what about hear, hear me out here? Fried bread in the middle of normal bread. Ooh. Bit of sauce. Yeah, that could. could that I work? think it could work. 
with the right sauce. I've s- I've said numerous times we need to start a food podcast. <laughs> and this, this is this is only proving me right. It would be pretty experimental. It would be like all food that takes five minutes to make, but it's just a bit weird. Oh yeah, <laughs> convenient and weird. Yeah, that'd be the vibe. Uh, anyway, right, Michael, let's go to you first for what you've got for us. Okay, well, I'm just going to... I thought I would uh, just talk about the best albums I've heard this year so far. So it's a bit spoilery, I guess. Um, I won't go into excessive depth on them because I'll save that for future podcasts, probably. Um, but yeah, so it's it's essentially a top four, uh, although I'm not going to rank them. I'm just going to talk about them. Um, the, the very best of what I've listened to this year, which has been mm, probably about 20-odd albums so far, uh, but growing constantly. Um, and the first one I'm going to mention is um, yeah, one of the most scorching, excoriating listens out there this year um, and that is Diaspora Problems by the band Soul Glow uh, Philadelphia punk band uh, all black punk band which um, is relevant to the highly political content of the album uh, Philadelphia at the moment is certainly one of the leading cities uh, globally in music I would say and this album's definitely contributing to that um, it's uh, it's relatively straightforward but excellent hardcore punk throughout um, but there's definitely some hip hop influence um, the track Drippinomics sounds especially futurist sounds a lot like a Death Grips song um, it's particularly thrilling and the closing track Spiritual Level of Gang Shit is um, well, it's basically a, a hip hop song with a band setup that then morphs back into hardcore halfway through. Um, I always think when you listen back to albums that have gone on to become respected as classics, um, you always I always find myself thinking how exciting it must have been to hear the album when it first came out. But I think you never have that the benefit of that sort of hindsight when when you're listening to a new album that first comes out. Um, and you, d- you don't know exactly how it's going to be perceived in future, but on rare occasions you do know that something's going to be you know, a total future classic and that's the sort of vibe this album has I think uh, when you listen to it, it's that exciting instantly you can tell uh, it's going to be looked back upon as very significant um, so that's that's part of the thrill with it um, and yeah, it's I think these days you know, the most, the most spectacular albums tend to be in my book pop r&b hip-hop albums but you get exceptions where in other genres you know the quality and standards are just so high that that is also on a spectacular level and that's the case with this album i would say Uh, it's pretty ferocious in sound as i said it won't appeal to everyone because it is aggressive the vocals were as i say tremendous um but they are uh they won't be to everyone's taste um and I don't think anyone can describe the album any better than uh, Ian Corn did on Pitchfork, uh, where he described it, um, I'm par- maybe paraphrasing slightly, but he described it essentially as the sound of a cop car being deadlifted through the front of a Wells Fargo. Um, and I don't think anyone will come up with a better description of it than that. Um, yeah, it's a very angry, essential album. So definitely one of the best I've listened to so far this year. And uh, next album I'll mention... Oh, before before you go on, Michael, and I'm going yep. to do this for each of these, um, right. consider me kind of the layman here, you know, you two music boffins. Mm-hmm. Does it, would, is it... Is that an album you would recommend to me, yes or no? 
Yeah, I think you could listen to this, yeah. Okay, okay, that's all I wanted to know. I'm going to ask well, this after every <coughs> other one. <laughs> I, of, I often send you um, songs that could be broadly termed rock, don't I? Um, yeah. And I have a theory that, you know, rock, metal, punk is just as strong as it was um, back in our heyday when we were uh, listening to Kerrang. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just underground or off the radar. And, yeah, this would definitely be an album that fits into that sort of thing. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so just to uh, just to max out on the contrast for everyone, the next album I'm going to mention is Harry's House, the new album by Harry Styles. Um, yeah, this is a tremendous pop record. Um... It has it's very much um funk influenced. Um yeah, it's it's got a sort of pop rock sound, some synths. Um sort of a parallel with the uh, the weekend's latest album Dawn FM in the sense that it cribs a bit from city pop and Japanese influence, so that's an interesting trend that's going on at the moment. Um Yeah, it has a very um has a very analogue sound I would say. Um I think you touched upon this, didn't you, Alex, when you said it reminded you of Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino? Uh, I did, the, I did. The most recent Arctic Monkeys album, and you were definitely barking up the right tree with that, I think. Um, because this sounds like... To me, it sounds like a 70s album. So I think between this and the previous album, Fine Line, uh, you could definitely say that... You know, It would be believable to me if someone, if someone said, oh, have you heard this guy, Harry Styles? Like, he was... Uh, he was a um, 70s pop artist who never you know, never got the recognition he should have. And the albums are sort of buried, uh, again, off the radar. That's the sort of vibe I get from these albums, which are obviously massive sellers, some of the biggest albums in the world. Um, but there's definitely something in that, and that's that's very interesting, I think. And, uh, so, you know, some, sometimes as well, a lot of the time, there's, there's so much nostalgia involved in music <coughs> now that, you know, it can it can spill over a bit and be a bit of a negative... Um, but that's definitely not the case here. Even if it does, it doesn't so much have a throwback sound. I think it's just more of a, a throwback feel to it, and it definitely deals in that sort of the appeal of nostalgia, as I'm touching upon. Um, but it's definitely a quality, I would say, for this album. Um, standout tracks. I mean, it's very consistent and strong throughout. But um, my favourites are Cinema, which is very Daft Punkian, um, and again. No surprise, really, that I'm drawing these sort of parallels because Daft Punk dealt a lot in the sort of nostalgia of, of that era um, earlier in their career with, with disco um, and then later on Random Access Memories with uh, with funk and sort of yacht rock, um, Californian-style 70s stuff. Um, and also the track Satellite, which uh, is a big standout for me. Um but yeah, there's there's also a lot of um, there's a lot of lyrical references to food and drink, uh, which I think really bring through how how important the feel and touch of the album is. It's very textural, and um, that's sort of reflected in Styles's whispery vocals. Um, so yeah, I'm still this is quite a new album. It's just come out. Um, still growing, growing, and uh, still living with it. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be one of my favourites of the year. So they're my first two. Mm, excellent. <laughs> I know you've recommended me the first, Michael. I haven't got around to listening to it yet, mainly because of this. Uh, you'll definitely, you'll, 
Yeah, you'll definitely like because it's silly challenge. I'm stuck in the eighties, uh, but I have been listening to some new stuff. Mm. Uh, and Harry Styles, um, yeah, it's also on my list to listen to, and know exactly what you mean about the seventies thing because that was, I think, uh, evident on his debut as well, which I really liked. I think I talked about it on the pod. Um, yeah, definitely quite a nostalgic, deliberately nostalgic feel to it, which, like you, I didn't think was a bad thing because, well, there isn't that much of that out there, is there? Like. Obviously, if you if you want to listen to a seventies album, you can go back and do that. <laughs> but there isn't any coming out that necessarily sound like that, so I don't think it's a bad thing uh, to like go back to doing you know a, a, a kind of style from another era. Um, and I think he adds enough to it to make it interesting. But yeah, I've not heard the new album, but certainly interested to do so. I've listened to it a couple of times. Um, don't have a huge amount to add to that, but um, other than Michael's already given you m- my main take from it. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I like him as an artist, um, which I never thought I would say, but um, you know, people surprise you. <laughs> they can, they can. Talking of people surprising you, Alex Wayne, what have you got for us? Um, oh, I don't know if this, how surprising this will be. <laughs> um, certainly anybody who's talked to me um, over the past, I don't know, however, maybe six months, something like that, um, this opinion will come as no surprise. So I'm going to be reviewing a TV show to start well, off with. Um, it is Severance, which is on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, bit of an overview to start with. It's created by someone called Dan Erickson, who uh, created and writes the entire thing. He seems to have no past credits, so seems to have come out of nowhere. Um, the episodes are directed down the middle by Ben Stiller and uh, Aoife McArdle. Um, stars a ensemble cast of Adam Scott, Britt Lower, Patricia Arquette, John Tuttosoro, Zach Cherry, Tremel Tillman and Christopher Walken. Um, the basic plot is quite hard to summarise without spoiling, but the best I can say is um, a mysterious tech company called Lumen uses a severance medical procedure to separate the work and non-work memories of its staff. Uh, seven, em- seven employees lead two lives, never knowing each other. Uh, so essentially, they go down in a lift to their basement of work, and during the lift, they literally change to their other selves. And when they go back up in the lift at the end of work, they return to their out-of-work selves. Um, an intricate web of conspiracy starts unravelling when Mark, the main character played by Adam Scott, is approached by a former colleague who was somehow successfully relinked his two personalities. Um this one caught my attention quite early on when I heard it being uh, compared to the work of Charlie Kaufman and The Truman Show. Anyone who knows me uh, knows that that's catnip, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, this this show kind of wears its influences quite obviously out there, so more more specifically, I would say, being John Malkovich um, is a huge influence, clearly. Truman Show, um, obviously George Orwell. I even caught a little bit of Lost in there as well, in terms of its kind of mystery and intrigue, so if you're a Lost fan, even if you didn't particularly like the lot, the last seasons, as I didn't, um, certainly you'll be remembering with relish the kind of, the, you know, the mysterious kind of intricate web. Um, it's basically a kind of a smooth mix of kind of mystery, psychological drama, satire, and black comedy. Um, and when I say smooth, I mean that it's it's kind of effortlessly, not really jumping between the genres, but kind of interweaving them. Um, Adam Scott is is exceptional as a kind of somewhat banal straight man um, in both his inner work self and his outer work self. Um, but each child of his personality kind of evolves as the, the series goes on. Um, John Totoro is also worth noting as a kind of restrained company man who uh, seems to 
have a reverence for the company's uh, founder, or at least his in-work self does. And um, Britt Lower is a re- rebellious new employee determined to leave, but becomes increasingly desperate when her out-of-work uh, character refuses to let her leave, effectively leaving her in a work-slavery situation. Enslaved by herself, obviously. Um, this show is, is gripping from start to finish. Um, I was It's consistently surprising, but in a way that feels really well-earned. Um, so I would describe it as kind of playing by the classic rule of a good twist. It should be a shock, but um, something that immediately makes sense uh, because clues have kind of lit, been littered unobtrusively throughout the preceding narrative. So, you know, you get you get some shows that will have things happening out of nowhere and there's no real logic to it. Um, but this is just a really good piece of storytelling. Um, I mean, it, it's not exactly the most subtle of um, metaphors, but... Um, it really does have something to say about our relationship with work, how you know how we often become different people in a professional environment, or about how little we know about how our workplaces run, or how tasks often feel kind of pointless or mismanaged. And it's also on a more positive note about how you build your relationships at work, which can be very real, but somehow different to your relationships outside of work. Um, in case it's not obvious, I love this. It's my favourite new TV show. Um possibly ever but certainly for the last few years and it's been renewed for a second season and it ended on an incredible cliffhanger so i cannot wait um has anyone else seen this or, or heard of this i've heard about i think you probably talked about this when i last saw you Al, and it sounded great so i <clears throat> definitely on the list to watch um i'll see if i can get Elle to watch this because i pretty much only ever watched tv shows with her uh, <laughs> and she might be did the, as i described it did, did the severance um, procedure makes sense because it really makes sense when you watch it in the show like you're never really confused about it but I think it's quite hard to describe out loud no that, that makes, makes sense. complete sense to me but and I think it's because of I'm a very like uh, work uh, <laughs> outside of work split Not I don't think I'm a different person however I split the things like I've never I never hang out with sorry people at work I don't think anyone listens <laughs> people uh, people from work outside of work <clears throat> Uh, I just like I, I drew that line when I was teaching, and I, I found work stressful. Now I find work less stressful, but I still just don't do that. It's just something that I like. I like to leave work and not think about it, and that includes not meeting people who make me think about it, just because of the fact that they're <laughs> it's not their fault. But <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, so I, yeah. I think I draw a pretty strict line, probably stricter than most people. But having said that, I think I am more or less the same at work as I am at home, personality-wise. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I guess I don't mean that our personalities change when we're at work, but certainly certain aspects of our character change because, yeah. you know, we may have to be more professional at work. We, we may <laughs> have to, um, you know, you know, pe- people adapt to other people as well. They don't necessarily change who they are, but they might, you know, for example, somebody at work might not have a clue about what one of your favourite things is outside of work because you may not bring it up in work because it's, it's oh, yeah, not yeah. relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Um, like I discovered not too long ago that somebody at my work, I didn't really know very well, but as a lead singer in a band and and a punk band that is as well and i couldn't have imagined anyone who's you know less likely to be that and i've seen videos of him and he's he's great but you know um you wouldn't have predicted it <clears throat> well this this reminds me of when um someone at work was um surprised to find out that i, I loved hip hop and then when i said what did you think i liked they said uh, i don't know mozart <laughs> I don't know. Is that a, is that a diss? I don't know. I'm not sure it is. I don't. I don't know what it was, <laughs> to be honest. 
I think you could take it either way. Um, I know I've banged on about this to you, Michael, and I know you haven't watched it yet, but you, you've kind of said it sounds like something you would. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the only reason I haven't seen this is because of well, you know the means of access to it. I mean, I, w- so. I would certainly say all of the episodes are on Apple TV Plus, and I do actually think it's growing into a platform that's worth looking at. But certainly for a fr- yep. for a free month, and in fact, a lot of places you can get it for a free three months. Certainly worth doing that. You could binge through this quite easily. I think there's only about eight episodes, something like that. Right, yeah. As a layman, as you put it earlier, um, about music, however, um, I am seeing more and more Apple shows get mentioned and praised. So I think you're right about that. Um, and in terms of this one, all I've seen for it is absolutely shining acclaim. Oh. So I've, I've heard people talking about it at work, talking to me about it, asking if I'd seen it. Um, and, yeah, it was it was someone's description on Twitter of it as the best puzzle box show since Lost that gripped me because, as you referred to, mm-hmm. um, I love Lost, and the later seasons were my favourite. Not the last one, necessarily, although I thought it was pretty good up until the uh, the lukewarm ending. Mm. Uh, but seasons four and five of Lost are its peak for me. So <laughs> so that sort of description's always going to hook me in. Yeah. Well, I mean, the like I said, what I love about this is, is the craft of it. It's just incredible. Like It's incredibly surreal in places, but then it also seems to be very logical as well. Um, and... Like I said, I, I there are a few twists in this. There's not one big twist. There's a few twists, um, and I bought them every time. Like I never felt confused by them. I never thought it was just you know needlessly outrageous or anything like that. It was just really good, intricate storytelling. And I, I'm quite keen to rewatch this actually because I think I watched it by myself. But I think Nicola would like it. Um, and I'd like to rewatch it just so because sometimes just looking out for the strings, looking out for the clues that you missed first time, is um, nearly as enjoyable. I think. Yeah, and I understand what you mean by that because um, yeah, you want something that feels natural, and the very best shows do. Sometimes shows feel overly conceptualized or feels a bit try hard. Clearly, that isn't the case with this, from what you're saying. No, it, but so, well, not not in my opinion, anyway. I mean, it, I think it could have easily gone that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's especially the final two episodes in particular. Wow, like among the best episodes of TV I've ever seen. Uh, that's that's another thing I noticed from people mentioning it at work. It seemed to be just gathering an insane momentum. Like every night they'd watch another episode and they'd seemingly be increasingly flawed each day. So. Oh yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was hooked from the start, but yes, definitely momentum. I think you'll probably start thinking, oh yeah, this is good. This is good, and then it builds from there, and then towards the end, you'd be like, "Fuck me, this is incredible." Um, mm. That sounds exciting. I'm, that's all I've really got to say on that. But I couldn't, you know, I couldn't give it more thumbs up. I've <laughs> only got two to give it, but you know, if I had more, I would, you know, I'd be holding it more. Definitely. Well, Tatalis, next time I get round to a TV show, as we all know, that hasn't changed. I don't watch many TV shows, but we have. Yeah, okay. I'll generally watch them with L. I pretty much never watch them on my own because I'm watching the films, as you heard. But yeah, I think it's probably top of the ones I will get around to doing <laughs> when I, when I will. Especially because it's a, the it seems like each season isn't s- stupidly long, which I like. No, I think I think it's eight. It's cool. definitely ten at most, but I think it's eight. Um, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. Like I'd, I'd recommend it to nearly around. everybody. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that type of thing. Right, <clears throat> we'll move on to my thing, which is a. I'm going to talk about a live album. I'm going to talk about one of my favourite live albums and possibly my favourite live album that I've kind of rediscovered uh, over the last few weeks, really. 
um, you're all probably thinking, oh, it's, you know, James Brown live at the Apollo. The Allmore Brothers at Fillmore East. Johnny Cash at Folsom <laughs> Prison. Britney Spears, one more time, live and more. It's none of those. It's a... Uh, <laughs> well, I, I really thought it was the last one though. It's, it's Secret World Live by Peter Gabriel um, <clears throat> which is uh, his second live album I've not actually heard the first and 10th overall album uh, released on the 30th of August in 1994 um, the reason I got reminded of it is because like I said I'm currently doing the Albums of Every Year Challenge and I'm on 19 I've just finished writing 1985 but I haven't uploaded it yet because I need to just read through it and make sure it's alright but I'm on 1986, and I can't remember whether I have reviewed or am reviewing, because I don't know whether it's 85 or 86 that uh, the Peter Gabriel album So comes out. Um, and it's great. I think it's 86. And, yeah, there's a track on there called Red Rain, and uh, I'll go into later. It's one of my favourite tracks on this live album, but it just reminded me of the fact my dad used to have this on all the time, um, this live album. So then I cracked it back out, and, yeah, I've just been absolutely loving it. Uh, the album documents the concert experience of the Secret World Tour, so I don't think it's one gig in particular. I think it's, like, snipped together from different concerts by the sounds of it. Uh, Peter Gabriel, of course, for those who don't know, was the lead singer of Genesis, uh, which uh, a band that he left in 1975 to pursue his solo career, at which point Phil Collins uh, took over the old vocal duties before, obviously, famously uh, becoming a solo artist himself. Um... It's, it's a long, I think it's 99 minutes long or something, this, so, you know, a, a good hour and a half. Um, it's clear as soon as Come Talk To Me starts that uh, Peter Gabriel is not messing about. With, <laughs> within the first half of the song, we've heard a bagpipe. Uh, in fact, I think that's the first thing we hear. Uh, a female backing group, a whole heap of thundering drums, where I'm pretty sure there's, like, some sort of djembe, a sem- <laughs> uh, like, choir. It was not, we wouldn't call it a djembe choir. Djembe troop, <coughs> I don't know, it's somewhere. Unless Manu Cache on the drums is playing so well that it sounds like about a hundred drummers are playing which is quite possible um so yeah there's that and then when the track breaks down in somewhere around the fourth minute manu Kache, uh the drummer on the album um on this album not the uh, studio album unleashes a short but monstrous drum solo it's about 10 seconds long it's fantastic uh, and, and at that point i'm just completely sucked in to the the scale of the occasion which i think is what to me a good live album does um part of that is i mean part of it's just the songs and the performances part of it is the the mix is both really clear but also puts across the atmosphere of a stadium performance which is something i've rarely heard done particularly well in a live album i feel like it either sounds really clear but you might as well be listening to a studio album or it sounds like a bit of a mess uh, <laughs> but you've got the atmosphere uh, which is why I don't tend to listen to loads of that live albums because I'm a bit of a fidelity nut I like my things to sound clear and crisp and own far too many headphones for that purpose um, so I, I often get put off but that's absolutely not the case here it, it manages to sort of strike that balance really really well um, after Come Talk To Me Peter lulls us into a sort of a false sense of security he does the classic you know I think it's the only time he talks in the entire album. He does the classic, oh, I'm in Spain, so I better say, you know, something in Spanish. Uh, and, the, <laughs> and then he says, there's something hot in the air, steam, and then goes into steam. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, and the band's, like, creating this sort of relaxed atmosphere under Gabriel's warm. But also, like, his vocals are... I can't, I'm trying to figure out how to best describe them. I don't know. They sound like... They're just really... They sound really warm, but also huge. 
which isn't two things I'd normally put together. Um, but yeah, he's got like a, a sort of vocal style that's very easy to sing along to, I guess. Uh, but he manages to make it sound really interesting. Um, but anyway, so they set this sort of musical bedding of calmness, which they do a lot of times throughout the album, and I get back into later on. Um, and then Manu Cache, the drummer, is just like, <laughs> uh, fuck this, and he unleashes a beat that's just like a, a frigging Swiss Alp, uh, and the crowd goes nuts, and then we're into Steam, um, which you probably will have heard, all heard. Uh, there's quite a lot of songs in there that I think people will be like, oh, I know that, I didn't realise it was Peter Gabriel. I think there's probably five or six of those. Um um, and it's just full of the album's full of magical moments like that, and I think that's a what makes good live performance, and b what makes a good live album. Um, it knows really how to tell a story in terms of there's a lot of slower, more relaxed songs which are really good. There's just so many different instruments going on that I think it. I'm, I'm assuming these were stadium uh, performances. Uh, I think Peter Gabriel was pretty huge at the time, and it certainly sounds like it, and it's the type of music where you'd think... Uh, I know a lot of people are always like, oh, I'd rather see them in an intimate setting, and I get that. I'm, depending on who it is, agree, but I also think there is uh, benefits of stadium performances, and one of my favourite concerts I went to was to see Bon Iver, uh, and that was at a stadium, and I wouldn't have wanted to see it anywhere else. It was it sounded massive and it filled the stadium and I don't think it would have had that sense of scale had it not been in a stadium. <laughs> and I think that benefited it. And I think that's the same here. And, and the like the slower more relaxed songs they have loads of instruments going on. They're just really they just sound really massive even if they're quite calm. Um you get tracks like Across the River, Slow Marimbas. Um and they're not as memorable as like the big hitting tracks but they're there to provide respite that is needed to fully appreciate the album's more gigantic moments. And I think it makes those like moments like, like the one I've talked about just stick out a bit more. Um, the, the album's absolute highlight comes for me after Shaking the Tree, um, after uh, Peter Gabriel's just introduced the band over the top of a... <laughs> they're, they're having a jam, another thing that's really great on this album. There's just, you know, they won't just play the songs like on the record, they'll go into a jam and it's always fucking brilliant. Uh, but yeah, they got into a jam at the end of Shaking the Tree. Um, and, it, you know, Peter Gabriel's like, yeah, fuck it, I'm going to do that thing where I introduce my band that apparently people are too cool to do now. Uh, and he's like, got Tony Levin over here shaking his tree. You know, I think he means his bass. Uh, and then <laughs> Manu Cache shaking two trees because, you know, he's got two drumsticks and they're made out of wood from oh, trees. Damn, I thought, uh, he was, uh, thought he was playing two bass guitars there. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointingly not. Uh, Manu Cache does a very chilled... He, d- he doesn't even really do solo. He's like, no, nah, mate, I'm too big for this. I'll, do, I'll whip out my solos when I want, Pete. And he does like a little groove, and it's nice. Um, and anyway, it's kind of... Sk- that, that, that song finishes, and then the drums kind of skitter around, and there's a... Um, like, the piano's just kind of bouncing around the stadium in a sort of un... Uh, it's, you know... On the edge of time, it's not, you're not really sure what it's going to lock into. And then there's this kind of drop and then Manu Cache lays down another absolutely liquid beat and Peter Gabriel starts singing Red Rain and the crowd erupts and it's fucking amazing um, this is probably one of my favourite live songs of all time it's superb uh, it's in my opinion better than the recorded version uh, the recorded version is still good but I don't love the the, the recorded version has programmed drums on it um, which, you know, in the 80s were, were fine, they were a thing. Uh, I think Manu Cache's drumming performance on this song 
is just superb and way better than the <laughs> the program drum version and essentially makes it it just raises the song to another level from great to just superb um he just the way he kind of thunders around the toms as peter gabriel sings the chorus sounds so huge that i'm running out of hyperbole to describe it uh, he's, he's got this he also seems to have like i don't know if it's him probably is because he's the guy sounds like he's got about eight hands uh there's also some sort of gong being hit at some point because you know fuck it it's the it's not quite the 80s but we're only four years away so we'll we'll smash a gong as well and it, yeah it's ginormous um, if you don't have 99 or whatever, how long it's 90 something minutes long, the album, um, I would recommend listening to the whole thing and putting that aside. But if you don't, <coughs> uh, put this, ver- this version of the song on, make sure it is this version and not the album version. Turn it right up, lie down, and it'll feel like red rain is pouring all over you in the best possible way. Um, I've not really talked about Peter Gabriel's vocal performance much, other than mentioning it earlier. It's I guess majestic I think is how I'd describe it I think if a lion would sing they'd sing like this <laughs> um, <laughs> and he gets this uh, towards the end of Red Rail he's got this gr- his voice is kind of like turned into a bit of a growl because he's clearly starting to lose it and it's ah, oh, it's perfect brilliant um, I'll leave my blow by blow account there but rest assured that's I'm only ha- about halfway through uh, <laughs> and it continues in a much similar vein I mean I've not even talked about Sledgehammer or Salisbury Hill, uh, which are possibly his two biggest hits. Um, and it's just, it's chock full of surprises. We've got, you know, during the slightly comedic Kiss That Frog, Peter, Peter Gabriel whips out a harmonica, which, to be fair, I've not heard the studio version of that song. He may do that in there and it may be less surprising. But for me, I was like, not expecting a harmonica. Um, he'd obviously not got the memo that it was no longer the 60s. Uh, and... <laughs> During Don't Give Up, which uh, originally, of course, is a song with Kate Bush, uh, Paula Webb, who does backing vocals throughout uh, most of the performance, um, sings Kate Bush's part. And yeah, it's beautiful. And that's not an easy... She doesn't necessarily sing it like Kate Bush, but it's it's lovely. Uh, and, you know, that's not an easy uh, musician to step into their shoes. Um, Kate Bush's albums obviously being a big part of my 80s listening at the minute, and they are generally superb Um, secret world she's in the news generally at the minute yeah she is because did she have a song at stranger things and everyone suddenly realized that she's really good Uh, yeah well uh, a couple of uh, kate bush facts for you she is both the youngest and the oldest person uh, in the uk to ever have a number one with an entirely self-written track yeah that's crazy Uh, wuthering heights and running up that hill but yeah, Secret World is everything I want from a live album. Great performances. It's a great track list. Fun. Um, it's incredibly atmospheric, and it just makes me want to be there. But not only does it make me want to be there, it kind of makes me feel like I almost am. Um, and yeah, just brilliant. Take a bow, Peter Gabriel and co. This is superb. I think there'll be some people who will dismiss it as like slightly cheesy 80s. It's obviously 94, but a lot of the stuff is sounds very 80s, and it has... Yeah, it's definitely got that like eighties over the topness to it, but I would just say embrace the fuck out of that, and you'll have a great time. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I think it's superb. Is that, I, I assume neither of you have heard this because I don't think it's necessarily the most well known. No, no, no. I, I've heard plenty of Peter Gabriel, but I've not. No, I've not heard this. Well, I, I'm, prob- I'm I haven't even heard a lot of Peter Gabriel. I don't think. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it was a it was a curveball choice, but. Uh, Clearly, the um, yeah, your enthusiasm was more than evident, and uh, and bonus points for reminding me of the mother gem bears as well. 
Oh, what a band. <laughs> what reminded you of the Mother Whatever Djembe? genre you were talking about, or instrument you were talking about on the first track, what was that? Yeah. Oh, the djembe's. Yeah, I was talking about djembe's. Yeah. <laughs> I remember now. Was it, was it a genre or an instrument? Oh, uh, okay. What was it? It was it was the an instrument djembe. It's, it's an like an African drum. Oh yeah, it's like a big, yeah, the one we play with two hands that isn't congas. Are famously, the one where they were like two little drums mm-hmm. that you play with, usually one hand on each, but mixing across. Djembe is just one big drum. Yeah, it's a great it's a great drum, top drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Would recommend. Spoken like a mother djembe, right? There. <laughs> yeah, if, I know, if anyone knows djembe's it's me yeah. uh, but anyway after that let's go back to you Mike for some more music yeah sure so I'll just talk about another two albums that are among the absolute best of this year so far for me um, this first one I'm going to mention has an air of inevitability to it um, no one will be surprised to see me ranking this highly the new Kendrick Lamar album Mr Morale and the Big Steppers Um definitely my most anticipated album of this year um kendrick's fifth in total after a five-year gap since uh, damn and just to give people an understanding of why the hype was so big damn was the first album in history uh, by a non-jazz or classical artist to win the pulitzer prize for music um and that was preceded of course by to pimp a butterfly one of the first albums i ever talked about on this podcast and which uh, was undoubtedly the album of the 2010s for me and is one of the most incredible albums ever made so you can see why the hype was off the chain for this album um, yeah I'm only going to talk about it in brief I think so there's going to be a lot of details I'm not going to mention uh, but this is I mean I mentioned still living with the Harry Styles album but this this is an album that truly need to live with for a lot longer um, as you expect from Kendrick it's highly conceptual some people felt it didn't have the same impact thematically, I think, as some of the previous works, but I don't think I agree with that. I think it's just a bit more subtle. Um, there's a hell of a lot going on here, uh, a lot of lyrical content to, to sift through, and that's an ongoing process that'll take months, if not years. Um, so in terms of uh, music, it's a bit scaled back compared to um, some of Kendrick's stuff, but then... Throughout the album, especially the first half, there's still a lot of very accessible tracks um, with the big budget productions. Um, and he's always been very good at balancing those things uh, between you know the accessible and the, the artistic. Uh, yeah, some moments to mention on the record. Um, the track We Cry Together was a notable standout when I first listened through. Uh, this basically takes the form of a domestic argument between Kendrick and actress Taylor Page, who performs superbly on this song, uh, over a rolling alchemist beat. Um, and this really reminded me of the track Let Me Watch by um, Victor Vaughn, uh, one of MF Doom's alter egos. Um, quite an obscure reference, I guess. Not to hip-hop heads, but to uh, to people in general, I suppose. Um, people mentioned how fanficy some of the um, some of the uh, inclusions on this album were, which I understand. Uh, there's the track "Purple Hearts" featuring Summer Walker and Ghostface Killer, which just feels like a strange and somewhat impossible combination, but it works. Some people didn't think so, but I thought it was a great track. Um, and also the inclusion of uh, Beth Gibbons of Portishead on the track "Mother I Sober," 
which is uh, the penultimate track on the album and really it's epic centerpiece the album very much builds up to that song uh, which is uh, really an outstanding track uh, there was some controversy about the albums. I mentioned We Cry Together's content, uh, but more so about the track Anti-Diaries, which I think has broadly been um, been seen as one of the first um, pr- tracks in hip-hop history to be you know, supportive of um, the transgender community in relation to Kendrick's, uh, sort of Kendrick's family members. Uh, but it was also heavily criticised for uh, deadnaming and misgendering. Uh, so a big uh, I mean I think controversy is a fair word um, because there was that much discourse and reaction to it Uh, even though I think you know people as I say broadly interpreted it as being supportive because that was clearly the intent I would say Um, but it was a bit clumsy perhaps and that was I think you see some criticism of this album for that throughout not just on that track um but I always feel safe in Kendrick's hands, so uh, and this album comes through with that again. Um, I think his, his success rate is uh, pretty much impeccable. Um, the album's framed as well. It takes it takes um, hints from some previous hip hop albums uh, in framing it as a sort of therapy session. Uh, so you've, you know you've got the, the likes of Relapse by Eminem, Goblin, Tyler the Creator, and more recently Psychodrama by Dave. But this does some more as a sort of self-therapy. Um, and clearly a lot of the content is very interpersonal. Uh, although, um, obviously, the personal is always political. So it's still in the Kendrick Lamar vein in that sense. Uh, yeah, Although it does include, bizarrely, it includes the German spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle uh, on some of the second half uh, tracks on the album. Uh, as a form of narration so there is still that element to it um, and some of the other controversy was for the, the multiple inclusions of uh, disgraced rapper Kodak Black so there's, as you expect from Kendrick there's a lot of talking points around this album uh, but as I said I'm still, still breathing it in still letting it settle but it's definitely one of the best albums I've heard this year um, which seemed like it was always going to be the case anyway um, and I'm very excited to see him on back to back nights uh, this autumn so very much looking forward to seeing that uh, and the last album I'm going to mention uh, today um, is well again this has um, this has its own air of inevitability to it as well in the sense that I think it's probably the most acclaimed album of the year so far uh, so certainly to anyone in the know it won't be a surprise to hear it mentioned here I haven't ranked these but I think it'll be quite surprising to me if this isn't the best album of the year for me come the end of it and it's the latest Big Thief album Dragon New One Mountain I Believe In You um, so Big Thief very much a band who have been building a lot of momentum with their releases since the mid 2010s and this delivers on every possible promise made. It's 20 tracks long, and if you can imagine an album being 20 tracks, 80 minutes long, and every track is absolutely exceptional, uh, then that's what we're dealing with here. It's very much marked out Adrian Lenka as one of the finest songwriters of her generation. Um, many of the very best tracks of the year are contained throughout this album for me. Um it's an indie rock album but very much folk based um, there's some roots in there some Americana, there were a lot of comparisons to the band 
uh, which will inf- uh, interest Bob Dylan fans as well, I'm sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. But um, also there's some very futuristic sounding indie on here. Um, and th- it, You know, it's very traditional composition, but it's just the strength of it that shines through. The tracks are an absolute joy to listen to. Some of the harmonising is among the most beautiful moments of the album. And there's just so many brilliant vocal sections uh, and hooks. Um, both vocal and musical throughout the album, so there's not. A, I mean, there's not a lot to wax lyrical about in terms of singularity or uniqueness. But the the singularity and uniqueness comes from the standard, as I said. It's just absolutely outstanding songwriting. Um, it really position positions Big Thief to claim to be the best band in the world right now. I think uh, that's the sort of standard we're talking about with this album. So yeah, I've been listening to that a lot, and I think it's definitely definitely the front runner as much as i've been loving the soul glow album as well lately it's definitely the front runner for album of the year at this stage i think cool i've uh, listened to the kendrick album i've only listened to it once so far so i can't really say a lot but thoroughly enjoyed my listen um the big thief album is also one of my favorites so far <clears throat> i've maybe listened to i've nowhere near your amount yet michael because i tend to while I've been doing this <laughs> do the uh, yearly albums and then get to the end of the year and realise I need to catch up and then spend about a couple of months catching up on the year's albums so I'll probably do that again this year um, but yeah certainly of the 10-15 I've listened to so far this uh, the Big Thief album's very near the top yeah it's really really great uh, some really beautiful moments in there and just let you say that the standard is just consistently great throughout which isn't always the case for an album that's quite long Um and yeah. also just keeps me interested throughout which as we know on this show is difficult to do with a longer album although I think I've become better at that <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it, it's, it's great it really is great yeah I was wondering if you'd have heard it because um, again I knew you'd definitely enjoy this but yeah it's, it is an incredible record I can't um, can't emphasise that enough and, and I think it would appeal to anyone really who's into music Um because you know most some, most people are into some form of rock based music, and it really is on that level. Mm. Another one to add to my list, I think. Well, obviously, I've listened I've listened to to some of it already to an extent, but uh, I, I'm assuming you're giving me the recommendation, Michael. Yeah, uh, all four of these albums. Yeah, I mean, I did. I think okay. I, I did recommend this to you actually. Um, I don't know if you I'm might not, not you might not remember, but yeah. Apologies, it's probably on a list somewhere. Yeah, I, I do. I do download everything you tell me to, but I don't necessarily listen to it immediately. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, definitely get it listened to. Yeah. You know what, Michael? I think you could monetize this, not with me. <laughs> you know, giving me the recommendations for free, but um, you should just start a Twitter account and then you know, Michael Pixie Music. You know, and that's it. And uh, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what my Twitter account already is. <laughs> it's just that. Yeah, but like. Make money from it somehow. Um, People tell you what their five favourite albums are, and you then condense that into another one. Oh yeah, that that would be really interesting, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, um, friend Ross does already call me Human Google or Music Google. That's it. <laughs> he was. I'm going to steal one of his anecdotes yesterday. So I saw him last night, and um, our friend Ross is uh, quite untech savvy, shall we say? <laughs> which is. Um, his uh, his daughter, I think she's three, uh, was asking him the other day. He said, "Oh, you got that off the internet." She asked him what the internet was, and he was absolutely stumped. 
and it, it, it it's the most proud he's ever been of her. Uh, you know, didn't she? Uh, didn't dad's she? Dad's daughter. Didn't she once sync his phone to the TV, which he he wasn't able to do, even though she's like not four yet. <laughs> <laughs> What's hilarious about Ross is he'll be scrolling social media on a laptop and. If he wants to put it in another group, he'll literally take a picture of the laptop <laughs> rather than find it phone into a screen. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I've done that before. Not because I don't know how to do it, but I can't be asked. Um. <laughs> anyway, excellent. Right, let's get uh, over to you, Al, to finish us off with whatever you have. Okay, well, you know, I've watched a lot of stuff um, since we last did this pod, and I thought I'd try and keep it to stuff that's been fairly regular, just so you know the, the feelings, the emotions, the thoughts were, were there. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, do I go for two things I really love, or do I go for one thing I really love and one thing I really hate? <laughs> and I just thought, it's been a while, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about um, the latest Jurassic uh, World movie, Jurassic World, World Dominion. Uh, div- oh, yes. Directed by Colin Trevorrow, who um, directed the first Jurassic World film, and I think he was the writer on the second one. Uh, stars an ensemble cast of uh, Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, and Jeff Goldblum. Um the basic plot, I'm not sure how much you need to know of this, but um, four years after the second film, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, dinosaurs are living in the wild among humans, um, but the company Biosyn owns exclusive rights somehow to experiment on dinosaurs from its enclosure in, it, in the Italian mountains. Um, Biosyn hire mercenaries to kidnap the clone daughter of their fa- founder and an asexually reproduced velociraptor from um, two of the main characters. Meanwhile, giant locusts are decimating crops, seemingly ignoring crops grown with biosyn material, which leads characters from the original film, Ellie Sadler and Alan Grant, to investigate. If that made zero sense, don't worry. You know, (laughs) just don't worry. Don't worry about it. Um, I mean, this is absolute garbage. Um, I didn't enjoy either of the, uh, the other Jurassic World films, but... Um, this makes Jurassic World look like Citizen Kane um, I mean I think my main criticism with all of these films has been that there really isn't any threat level considering how many perilous situations they're in where dinosaurs are narrowly missing them with um, bites at no point do you feel like they're in any danger whatsoever it's like watching kind of like a Marvel film where someone's in a, you know, a colossal fight but at least in a Marvel film these people are superhuman you know you're thinking okay well how can they die these are supposed to be normal people. Um, there's also, I mean, at the start of this film, there's a stupid half-baked kind of James Bond Mission Impossible kidnap or espionage plot involving this clone daughter. And um, it's pretty absurd. It just doesn't really fit. I mean, I don't know how well you remember the original Jurassic Park, but, I mean, it's a film about cloning dinosaurs, but aside from that, it felt fairly grounded in reality. You know, there was nothing that was that absurd that didn't feel it could happen. But the, these films, and especially this one, have taken an entirely different kind of route, route in, in you know, entirely different kind of uh, atmosphere, and it it just it, it's idiotic. I mean, um, also, I mean, I I don't know how this has happened, but there are too many new dinosaurs. I mean, it's it might sound <laughs> absurd, but there's no character building for the dinosaurs in the first. <laughs> You know, no, but bear with me, bear with me, bear with me. In the first Jurassic Park film, you know, you've got it built up for ages. You've got T-Rex, you know, you know, 
basically king of the crustaceous jungle or whatever. You know, he's built up with this absolute monster. Velociraptors, you barely see them until they're there, and they, you know these vicious, cunning killers. The Dilophosaurus, you know, the the cute kind of venom spitting creature. You know, they kept it simple because they built up these creatures so you understood them, and they kind of had an, an animal character, if you like. In this one, oh, here's another one. He's bigger than the other ones. He's got fins. You know, this one's got feathers. They're all vicious. They're all massive. And it's like, they're just a monster, really, at that point. It's not really, you know, I don't know their names. I mean, the latest one, they've called it Gigantosaurus, which is apparently a real dinosaur. And, you know, it's the biggest, baddest one yet. Spoiler alert, it gets killed by the T-Rex in the end, which is, they're ripping off the first film that they did, which is already a rip-off of King Kong. I mean, absurd. Um, there's, I mean, there's a complete lack of charisma from pretty much everyone in the film, except except Jeff Goldblum, who basically just plays Jeff Goldblum, which, you know, is a relief. Um, Sam Neill and Laura Dern are clearly just there for the paycheck, which is fair enough, I don't blame them. Uh, Chris Pratt, who, you know, can be a questionable person, but can be a really engaging screen presence. You know, he's fun in things like Parks and Recreation, Guardians of the Galaxy. He's basically doing Smell the Fart Arctic acting here. He reminds me of Tony <laughs> Tribbiani from Friends, you know, trying to be serious and smouldering, but, you know, it, it doesn't work. Um, also, like, don't get me wrong, I love films that have, you know, a bit of humour in them. Something to cut the mustard, if you like. But um, this, it's often too too zingy and too light, you know. People in the middle of a situation go, nope, 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 nope. And it's like, what? <laughs> Come on, you're supposed to be trying to scare me here. And you're taking this tension out of it. So I'm like, yeah, they're not going to die. They're going to be fine. It's going to be all right. It's just, a, you know, it's a theme park ride, isn't it? Um the action, the action scenes all seem designed around CGI as well, lacking physicality. Now, I'd heard that before this they'd used a lot more kind of animatronics, a bit like the original film. But you can't see it on screen just because the action scenes are shot in such a kind of artificial kind of superhero Marvel kind of way that just lacks any kind of physical grounding. Um, yeah, I, I mean, despite all of this ranting here, um, I'm not going to tell you it's the worst film ever made. If you were, you know, getting out of the rain for two hours, it's marginally entertaining at times, but it's just pretty poor for what it's supposed to be. And it's, to me, it's more of a, it's a commentary on Hollywood's obsession with um, intellectual property. You know, their obsession with franchises, you know, everything has to be expanded ad, ad infinitum. Um, and they have to do callbacks to original films. And in this case, literally transporting half the cast into it. Just let things breathe on their own. Come up with some new ideas. Fuck me. Uh, no, do not recommend. I'm just going to heart back to you. <laughs> I didn't want to butt in, but <laughs> crustaceous jungle just made me think of this jungle full of like crabs and lobsters. I don't know why that was funny, but <laughs> <laughs> I think I hadn't mean crustaceous. I just went off on a rant there. Um... <laughs> I think we have the uh, episode title sort of. <laughs> Yeah. Has anyone seen any of the other Jurassic World films? I'm not talking about the original trilogy. Um, I've seen. Um, I think I've seen all the original trilogy, but I've seen. I think it's the first one afterwards, where where um, the T Rex obviously kills uh, another made up <laughs> monster. Uh, that one was like oh, all right. It was like entertaining, but um, I don't think I ever saw any of the other ones. But see, you've kind of summed it up there. You don't remember this name of this other big bad dinosaur, no, do you? No. You know, not enough character development. It's got no I character. Want to know his background. Yeah, exactly. You, you what can. What does he do outside of work? Give character development to a monster. You can. 
It's had its work and outside personalities. So. Yeah, exactly. All I know is it's work <laughs> stuck in a cage personality and it doesn't. <laughs> I just don't know enough about it. Uh, but no, I, do, I, I agree. I know what you mean. Like in the, the first one, what it did well is just like bring up the... Everything felt like, you know, the Velociraptors, the T-Rexes, they had their own like personality. and That's why they were so popular on the playground. I was like, I'm going to be the T-Rex, you know. I can't, I can't well, imagine as many people yeah. now going, I'm going to be the, no, that No one wants one. to be Gigantosaurus. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm going to be the Gigantosaurus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, the first film somehow was a PG. And by the way, I don't know how it was thinking, looking back at it, you know, like, people get eaten alive in it. Um, but, like, <laughs> there was no set threat level. It's fine. You know, half, half the cast die in it. Um, in this one... I think there's maybe one or two of the cast die, but they're all new people anyway. And it's it, you know, you just never think. You think, yeah, they're going to survive. They'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, it's uh, like it's a theme park ride. That's all it is. Yeah, I totally agree with your um, franchise point. I, though it is, it's frustrating that uh, cinema seems to have descended into not completely. There's obviously good stuff coming out, but um, it's unfortunately generally not the big budget stuff, which seems to have descended into. We'll make another version of that film from the eighties. Oh or, yeah, it's like and I'm just like just. Well, this is this is why I was so this is why I was invited to go and see Top Gun, and I didn't go because I'm so suspicious of it. No, and obviously, obviously, it turns out. I mean, that, now and again, well, it's going to work. I trust your opinion, guess, but yeah, <laughs> I trust what Alex had to say about yeah. it. Obviously. Um, so I can see that, you know, I might have been wrong in that, but this is the climate it's created. You know? I would have trusted yeah. it. It's the same reason when, I know it's five years ago, but when the Blade Runner sequel was announced, I was like, this is clearly a bad idea. And they turned out to be one of the best films of the mm. decade, you know. So I think, I it think just ul- depends. I think ultimately it depends. Um, I don't mind them doing long lost sequels or prequels or whatever, um, as long as they're inventive enough and, and new enough. You know, you can, ha- you can do just, something that's yeah. new, but also, res- you know, respectful of the original um i mean ultimately i'd rather see just new things you know come on have have a new idea but um Mm -hmm. like and i'm also i'm sick of this whole idea of bringing back original casts 30 years down the line (laughs) and then just looking like old versions of themselves and often they they can't remember how to play their old characters and it's just it's like going to see you know your nan in a care home you know it's like it's not not quite who she was (laughs) I think the reason, I mean, I've not seen Top Gun, but the reason I thought, oh, it might be good is because it, it, it does that, but it has Tom Cruise in it, who I think is one of the few people who's managed to continue to actually just be good, even though he's really old. Um, <laughs> what he does, he's a very specific role, but I think he's very good at it. Like, the new Mission Impossibles and stuff are still good, and I think it's largely because he yeah, it's, is still good. It's hard to put your finger in it with Tom Cruise, because he's not a remarkable actor. You know, he's no. not even that necessarily that likeable. He's just... He, he he knows how to make a certain type of film well. I think it's because he's got quite a perfectionist, some might say odious personality, but it does get results, you know. Um, in the fact he insists on physical stunts, and I think for the Top Gun film, he insists on minimal CGI. Is in like all of the dogfights, they're you know they're real planes flying. The cast are really in them, albeit not flying them, obviously. <laughs> he insisted that all the cast. <laughs> Learn to fly. <laughs> that would have been amazing, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you've got to be a world-class actor and a world-class jet, jet fighter pilot. <laughs> and really old from the previous film. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I, I reckon that in the next uh, Jurassic Park film, the dinosaurs will fly planes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It could be... It could have, Honestly, right, I don't see this dying as well, by the way, because even though it's got a critical kicking, <laughs> it's you know, you know it's going to make, you know, at least... 
700, 800 million. Well, that's because that's because of people like you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's my fault. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I was going to say, like, why, clearly you were going to hate this. Why did I know you've got the card, but why did you? Honestly, it, it felt like but... completionist sake. I'd seen the other two in the things. I thought, right, I've got to see this one. Um, but you, you're right. You're right, though. Mm. You're right, though. I shouldn't have bothered, but. Um, and I do like dinosaurs, you know what I mean? I, th- I thought... <laughs> <laughs> Only when they've had their character. Yeah. Yeah. I thought to myself, though, because to be fair, the first of this trilogy, Jurassic World, I didn't love it. At first I hated it, and then I mellowed on it a little bit, and I thought, well, it's just a dinosaur action film. It was all entertaining enough. It wasn't great. But... Hmm. And then the second one I didn't like at all, but I-, I thought, you know what? They might have captured something of the first one, at least. I'm not going to love it, but I thought I might not hate it, and then, no, I did. It- awful. Ah, oh, dearie me. But yeah, some some new ideas would be lovely. Yeah, just any... Come on. But the problem is that these things just do well, regardless of whether they're good or not. It, it, it's, it's, it's a safe bet, isn't it? That's that's why they do it. Yeah. It's a safe investment. Exactly. We love a rant, though, so... We- yes, it's been... That's probably the first one since Black Hat. Or at least, it feels like it. <laughs> that, and that was a rant and a half. Was it Black Hat? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I still remember it. Worst experience I've ever had in the cinema. <laughs> still. I mean, come on, that that guy in front of us absolutely stunk. <laughs> and it wasn't helping that... The, yeah, and somehow that's, the that's, movie stunk even worse. That's worse than most for you. Ah, dear. And on, and on that note... Uh, uh, get his review on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it stunk worse than the guy in front of me. <laughs> Yeah. It was very smelly. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. Um right, well well I guess I guess we'll leave it there. Um I usually do my plug time, but I've got no fucking idea what to do because I've done it not done it for a year, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> uh plug time at stickaroundcast on Twitter. Um I'm gonna put Al, I'm gonna put you in charge of that. Uh okay. pu- publicly. Because uh, okay. I like to do this. This is the kind of poor work conditions that led to you smoking so, last time. Yeah. But, but. <laughs> yeah. So then, w- when it goes wrong, everyone will know who fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you get publicly abused by the stick around Twitter account, it was me. <laughs> yeah, that's the main reason I'm handing it over, so that I can. That's the writers of the writers of Jurassic Park abuse incoming. <laughs> yeah. Jurassic World. And, uh, so. I'm glad the dinosaurs aren't on on Twitter themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably are. To be fair, Mark. <laughs> Uh, that would have been an interesting part of their character development. Weird arguing with a gigantic <laughs> on Twitter. Be like the time you were arguing with Cineworld. Be amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's where you can find us on Twitter. Stickaroundpodcast.com. You can find all of our last episodes. Uh, you can also find my favourite albums of every year articles. Like I say, I'm up to 1980. I think 84 is the last one that's gone up. 85 will be going up over the next few days. Um, and then we'll, you know, because I can count, we'll be on eighty six next. Um, there's also some article, other articles on there written by our lovely hosts, and you can find the podcast on pretty much any podcast app, um, iTunes, Pocket Casts, whatever you've got. Type in "stick around." You've probably done that to listen to this, but um, and you can find episodes on there. But sometimes they don't go all the way back. If you wanted to listen to some of the earlier stuff, you'd have to go to the website. Depends how many they can cache, I believe. Uh, not that I really know what that means, but yeah, that's uh, I think the end of plug time. I don't, is any, has anyone else got anything to plug? Um, no, you no, not really. Michael, 
uh, my bl- my blog yes. runs to the north. <laughs> Just posted an, um, a piece on the about the weekend, the pandemic pop star. Oh. I mean, the title's already got me intrigued. Is that, So just say, I think I interrupted your naming of the website. Is it Roads to the North, uh, Michael? Roads to the North dot Roads com, to the yeah. North dot com. Great. Also, on there. also for three ninety nine uh, via Patreon, <laughs> you can get some nudes of Michael as well, you know? Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yep, true story. Pandemic porn star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I like it. Um, we should get a Patreon. No one will ever pay it, but we can, you know, it makes us sound more professional that we say it at the end. You can buy me a coffee on Patreon. And then we could have an advert as well. Maybe I'll record some fake adverts. <laughs> From Kellogg. <laughs> uh, anyway, right, it's been wonderful. That's full circle, yeah, right? That now. is full circle. That's how we roll. Like a really good, well written comedy script. Or a really well rolled up fruit winder. <laughs> wow. Yes, exactly. Um, right, it's been wonderful. I've, it's, I've enjoyed being back. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us, Al, with your film opinions, both good and bad. Uh, thank you for hosting, and thank you for giving us your your take on live music, Clive. Thanks. Uh, that was good and bad. That you, you know your opinions of things were. I don't, you know oh, what yeah. I mean. I'm not saying that you had any. Well, bad no, no, I, I, Your I'm a bit rusty. A bit, it's been a year, Clive. I'm a bit rusty, so it's fair comment. <laughs> and uh, Michael, thanks for sharing with us your top four albums of the year so far. No problem. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I think next time I'll talk about my favourite album of 2021, since we haven't done that. Yeah, I was thinking actually we haven't done the top five, so we'll probably I might do the same. Mm. Not do a top five, but talk about my favourite. Because um, I did, I did write a blog post on it, which you can mm-hmm. find on stickaroundpodcast.com. Yeah. Um, on the same page as the other years, I, I, because of the fact I can't handle the fact that I could be getting behind. As the years go on, I make sure that every year, as it happens, also gets uploaded, so that I will eventually catch up with time itself. Um, and that'll <laughs> be a great yep. day. Yeah, probably in about three years. But anyway, uh, we've been stick around, and you've been stick around's audience. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> right, Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found. The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around